All right, welcome back to View from the Mount, live from Lake Mount Church of Christ, where we talk about real life issues through a biblical lens. My name's Matt, and I'm here as always with Jason, and we got a little bit of a different episode for you today. So Jason's going to tell you a bit about what we're going to do. Yeah, this week, what we kind of did in preparation uh, is we're going to talk about the things that we think are the biggest threats to the church in the future as we move forward. So kind of asked Matt ahead of time, I said, why don't you come up with five things? I'll come up with five things and we'll see what we have. So full disclosure, we have not talked about what is on our list to one another. Uh, so we normally don't script anything anyways, uh, but we do normally have a little bit better uh, flow, a little bit better plan for how the conversation is going to flow. Uh, this week, not so much. Uh, so another thing is with these things, these aren't necessarily the threats to our society or to secular world. These are specifically things that we see as emerging uh, threats to the church, to Christians uh, as we move forward. And probably even need to clarify further, Matt, with Christians in America. Right. And and we really didn't even kind of discuss whether we were going to talk about external threats or internal threats. And I've come up with you know a couple of each. Okay. So kind of see where we get to in this. And we'll sort of allot a few minutes to each thing as it seems like it's appropriate. And then we'll, we'll move on. So that way we're not keeping everyone here for the entire day. Absolutely. And one of the things is like with the nature of this episode, I would love your comments on this. Uh, so uh, in whatever platform you're listening to, uh, drop a line. Let us know what you think might be the biggest threats, what you perceive to be, where uh, the things that we speak about, where they might rank on your top five list. If you had one, you never thought about this, maybe uh, it'll challenge you to think about that. Yeah. And if we, if we touch on something here and you think, man, that really sort of deserves its own episode, I'd kind of like to hear that developed better, drop a comment and we will consider putting that on the list. Absolutely. You know, I think one of the reasons why this is important is we don't want to be unaware. Mm -hmm. Uh, We don't want to be unprepared. So we don't want to be pessimists. We're not preaching uh, doom without hope. Uh, We believe that the church is going to uh, exist and can even thrive in the midst of these threats, mm-hmm. but we want to be aware of them uh, so that we can deal with them the best that we can. So uh, we're not being pessimistic. We'll try to give with each uh, one of these points the reality, but also uh, what the op- opportunity is for us as the church with this. So uh, Matt, how about uh, how about you go first? Tell me your uh, first one on your list, maybe not in order. I, are they, did you rank yours? Uh, I, did, I really didn't. I just kind of put them All down right. in the order that they kind of occurred to me. Um, All right. So, so one thing I think is the big thing is this sort of idea. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks about cheap grace. Um, and it's a grace that doesn't cost us anything. You know, it costs God everything for our salvation. And, and yet for some people, it, it really doesn't cost them a thing in their life. And we don't value something if it doesn't cost us anything. And so I think it's sort of this idea that that we, especially in America, we've got this cultural Christianity. We're allowed to be sort of nominal Christians, but it may not actually cost us anything in our life. And I think that leads to a very shallow faith that is a threat to the church as it was intended to be. Yeah, I I think Bonhoeffer kind of talked about the idea of, uh, you know, salvation is free, but discipleship Mm -hmm. will cost you everything. So with, with Matt's point, if I'm understanding where he, what he's hitting on, this isn't a new or an emerging problem. No, No, this has been a problem. It it has been a problem, but I think as our culture sort of increasingly shifts uh, to this inward focused, self-centered mentality, Christianity it becomes something that's just sort of a, an accoutrement in our lives, right? Instead of the central reason for our being, it's just this this thing that we have that's part of a balanced life. And I, I really do think that that it makes the church ineffective. You you got you, you look through the pews and how many people are really converted, and how many are just sort yeah. of there because it's what they do. Yeah, two things just kind of came to my mind when you when you were saying that. One is, you know, Jesus encountered would be followers that he had to warn about the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, let the dead bury their own dead, and there were uh, people that wanted to, you know, follow Jesus but weren't willing to embrace any of the sacrifices that might have come with it. That existed then, uh, and and if I if there was any uh, element of disagreement on on that from on with me, it would be that I think we're shifting from nominal Christianity to where like the 
Christianity of my parents, your parents' generation, uh, was a very nominal Christianity where church attendance and church connection was very common, beneficial, and good, Mm -hmm. where I I think this polarization that we see in the world today is leading itself to less nominal Christianity, smaller number, but less nominal. Well, and that's interesting that you say that. So I think what we're going to see, especially if we see some any sort of increasing pressure from the culture or from government or whatever else we happen to get into today, these different threats to the church, I think we are going to see numbers begin to shrink. And I think there's mm-hmm. going to be an initial panic to that. Like, well, how do we, why are we losing people? And, and I think that's probably a part of the cause is because you've had people who were just sort of here because it hadn't cost them anything. And when it does, they'll stop coming. This is so hard to diagnose within Christianity because mm-hmm. the term itself has become very a, a very broad term. And how exactly when people are trying to understand what the situation is with nominal Christians, well, what what do they mean by Christian in the first place? Anything that might possibly have any semblance of orthodoxy? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so we would... We would certainly have some questions about the very definition of terms to start with. Yeah, that's probably true. But but I think that's interesting. The idea of cheap grace, Matt, I think that is uh, a problem that no matter how much we preach that, because you and I have preached similar calls mm-hmm. to radical discipleship, to following Jesus, but yet it, it's one that doesn't always resonate. It's not always taken. Well, it's it, it's not one that's always easy to practice as it is to preach a, a message about it. You know, there there have been times in my life when probably I haven't been as radical as I should be. Sure. Um, and, and also, I think we have to look again, we're talking about American Christianity. I mean, if you're in China being a Christian, that's likely to cost you more than mm-hmm. it is here. And that's just a product of where we live and in, in our culture and so, but realistic things you might be willing to give up in the United States, it might cost you a job at this point, right? If you post the wrong thing on social media related to yeah. your faith, or especially in opposition to something that, that goes against the faith, it might cost you a relationship. But I mean, we're not facing the sort of persecution that the early church did yet in this country. Which I think is why I kind of rebuffed just a little bit in saying that I didn't think that nominal Christianity was going to be the problem going forward, because I, I do perceive that that opposition is going to come, and su- it's, going to sh- it's going to force that out. I suppose when I, when I consider that a threat, I think it's rendered the church less prepared for what's coming than it ought to be. I agree. I think sometimes we're guilty, and I'm not saying this is the case with that. I think that's something that's always been an issue and will continue to be an issue, but I, I think sometimes we're like 15 years behind diagnosing. Maybe. So sometimes we're preaching against problems that aren't problems. You know, so like in my list, when I came up with my list of five things, I didn't once consider that the biggest battle we're going to face is evolution. Right. And people are still arguing that like it is. Now, I it's still a peripheral issue. Right. Uh, one that we're going to, but I, I don't believe that that's the issue it was 20, 25 years ago that the church is facing. I just don't believe it is. Nah, not, I mean, not to mention more and more people are starting to sort of get on board with, there's some good evidence for creation. Peripheral. It is peripheral. Right. That's kind of the first one that popped into my head. And so that's the first one that went on my list. So your turn. Good stuff. All right. The first one, I I guess uh, we kind of went through a similar thought process starting out and I was thinking general spiritually. Mm. And the first thing I thought of was apathy. I think that's a, a, a big issue in the church of general, you know, and its cousin complacency. To be specific, apathy just across the board or with spiritual discipline or, I mean, apathy I, I, and spiritual, what? Spiritual apathy. Okay. Uh, spiritual apathy towards uh, fulfilling the Great Commission mm-hmm. personally, spiritual apathy towards striving and growing in godliness. So a general apathy within the church. Yeah. And I'm talking about in the church, yeah, an right, apathy right. within the church that I see. What do you think the cause of that is? I mean, what causes us to be unconcerned with evangelizing the world or any of these other things we ought to be doing? Well, I made a, I made a note at the bottom of my list, and I didn't know if to make this a separate issue mm-hmm. or connect it to all five, but I believe all issues, most issues are gospel issues. Yeah, It was that way in the book of Galatians. You know, they're heretical and adding to the gospel, right. and Paul's surprised. And so I, I think there's this general lack of understanding of the good news 
Oh, it's a gospel. And that's so simple. Yeah. And I don't want to oversimplify it, but it hasn't become real or urgent or important to people. I think that's a good point. I mean, if you hit the Powerball and won $100 million, you would run down the street screaming it to everybody who would listen. Yeah. I mean, you would be calling people up you hadn't talked to in a year and telling them what had happened. And so I, if we really apprehended the, the truth of the gospel, wouldn't we be bursting at the sure. seams? Sure. And, and, and this can flow in uh, volunteering. Mm-hmm. Uh, in service, p- plugging people into the local church, and as small as participating in the corporate worship, a general coldness that exists, a general unmoving that exists in the church that yeah. that I I see that's that's not new either. Well, I, I think you could even broaden your focus and see a, a basic spiritual apathy in the world. It seems like less and less people are even hungry for mm-hmm. something more than than they see right here in front of their faces. But the church. You would think the church would be sort of past that, and yet I think you're right. I mean, it's hard. How many people do you think attend church weekly, but you know, have a dusty Bible sitting at the house right. that they haven't touched, or you know, they they don't pray much like they ought to, or and maybe these small spiritual disciplines are what lead to a larger. Yeah. I mean, how can we be excited about the gospel if we're not getting in the Word and we're not feeding Absolutely. ourselves? Absolutely, the overflow of the heart, the mm-hmm. mouth speaks. That's true for bad things. It's also true for good things. Yeah. And when we fill our minds with the gospel, the gospel is bound to come out. I think you're absolutely right about that. And so, you know, maybe a way of conquering that is to get back to the basic stuff about spending time with God each day and and reflecting on Him and getting in the Word and and praying. You've lost your first love Mm -hmm. and restoring that first love in in our lives, making Jesus our all-out pursuit. Yeah. And, And that being the case for everybody that claims to be a Christian. For, for that to be in pursuit, not we're not the same place, right? Nor are we ever going to be, but we should all be in the same pursuit. Yeah, and kind of losing that first love is sort of one of those things that was on my list a bit, and and I was given some thought to to that just to kind of springboard off of what we were just on. I think that we keep ourselves, you know, I don't want to say young spiritually, but but excited spiritually mm-hmm. by discipling another person, and, and I just good. think about having kids, and you know, you're experiencing these things. For them, it's the first time, but. But it's not for you, but it takes you back to that, that excitement and that, that wonder that a kid feels for things. Or even if you're watching, you know, a movie you've seen a thousand times, but you're watching it with someone who's never seen it and you find yourself laughing at things that you quit laughing at years ago because you've seen it so many times. I really think that leading somebody through those steps and experiencing that sort of vicariously, I think that keeps us fresh and it keeps us excited about the faith. And how many of us have a disciple, you know, that we're working with, that somebody that we're really leading into the faith? I think that that might be a part of the problem. Yeah, absolutely. So that's my my number one. Now we're uh, number two, Matt. What's your uh, what's your number two here? I really think lack of prayer is a problem. Okay. Man, I mean, I know even here at our congregation, we've sort of circled this idea. Uh, you preached a series a year, almost two years ago now, maybe, about prayer that just punched me right in the stomach. And I think there was a lot of good response to that. And we've we've talked about sort of getting prayer meetings back together, because that's something I think that's fallen out of fashion at a lot of churches. Uh, yeah. We've got a Sunday night service, we've got a Wednesday night Bible study, but but a real prayer meeting is not something that you see all the time. And are we praying as a church or even as as families? Are we taking time to pray as a family? I think, like we said a few minutes ago, probably most people's prayer life suffers on an individual level. I know mine's not always where it ought to be, as much as I wish I could say otherwise. It is something I strive for, but I think lack of prayer is a huge, huge well, problem for I, the church. I'd like to uh, amend my list now, uh, but <laughs> because I, I certainly think, like, if you look at the early church and compare it to the 21st century church. One of the major differences is results, but one of the major causes was prayer. Yeah, It was their knee-jerk response mm-hmm. to every situation that came down the pike was to spend more time in, in prayer. So I think that's true corporately yeah. for the church. You're, you're right. We don't have prayer meetings. Prayer meetings have historically either evolved to small group meetings or Bible studies yeah. or off the table altogether due to busyness. Churches don't have prayer meetings like they used to. I believe at the every throughout history prior to leading to every revival or spiritual awakening, there's a movement of prayer that precedes it. Yeah. I, I believe that. I think you're right about that. And you know, we look at at the New Testament and we see, you know, Peter was thrown in prison and they just immediately got together at a house. I don't know how many of them were there, but they were praying right away. Right. Like, this is urgent. It needs 
And there's no urgency, really. Well, and Peter, no, Peter knew where to go. Yeah. Almost like it was a custom to do, do things like right. that. So it was their habit, uh, as was Jesus's, mm-hmm. right? You know, he, it was his habit to pray. And so, Matt, do you think that with this idea of prayer, is it do we disconnect corporate and personal prayer, or does one precede the other, or are they just one A and one B? I think if you're not praying in your personal life, it's never going to even occur to you to call others together to pray. With well, I mean, I mean, how do we legislate that? How do we pro- oh. how do we do we do we program that as the church? I I think the obvious answer is yes, we program it. But the problem is it corporate or personal or both, and if so, which one has to be restored first? Yeah, that's a really good question. And and I think there's a danger in programming to the point where, okay, that's Wednesday night prayer meeting. It's every week, you know, it becomes mm-hmm. old hat. But even how about, hey, there's something real bad going on right now. Like we need to, the church ought to be praying about this. Let's get together. And Correct. Do but that's that. something and, that's done through a um, leadership. That's something is. that's done through uh, opportunities in a corporate setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if one prompts the other. Yeah, I don't. I, I really don't know either. I think. I think most Christians I talk to, there is some semblance of a prayer life there, even if they're telling you they're struggling with it. They understand they ought to be doing that, and I think. I think a Such lot of a people strive thing. to do. It is hard. It's unnatural. Um, but corporate prayer. I mean, outside of hey, we're going to open the service with a moment of prayer or whatever. I mean, I don't know how you. I don't know how you restore that movement in the church where yeah. we're praying. And, 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 and so when we're not doing that, we're trying to do everything. We, show we don't our, value it. We, we don't value it. We're trying to do everything on our own power. And, and how do we, you know, I mean, we're kind of doing our will, right, rather than right. seeking God's will. And I don't, I don't know how you just reach out and with a sweeping gesture fix that. Right. Um, that's well, a that, complex and, problem. And, and then pra- there are practical questions. You know, Acts 2, they were, they were devoted to prayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, among other things, which probably those things in Acts 2.42, they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the yeah. breaking of bread and prayer. I think those were probably components of their worship service, with fellowship being the giving of an offering. Yeah. And I look at our—if we just took that as the model for church service, we're failing that pretty badly. Yeah. But I don't know how to practically infuse, do that, the obstacles of uh, of time. I don't either, and that's probably worth exploring. And even, you know, they were just together all the time. Right. I, I wonder how often they were just together hanging out at someone's house, having a meal, and it turned into a prayer mm-hmm. meeting because they were talking about spiritual yeah. things and they were moved to pray. And It's something I've been motivated to do more— uh, more in the past couple years, mm-hmm. like I'll take opportunities to pray with people when I'm talking to them yeah. uh, right away. When I hear someone has an issue, I'll just stop and pray with them. I want to be that type of man. I want that to be my go-to. Right. Uh, but personally, as a habit, a daily habit for me, it has been a struggle because it's so unnatural. Mm-hmm. So it comes seasonally in my own life. I tend to think, I guess to answer my question, I tend to think that it has to start with leadership. Yeah. And it has to start with people observing that it's important and priority to the church. And then they might start, people might start to say, hey, this is important to me on Monday mm-hmm. at home yeah. to develop my own prayer pattern, whatever that might look like. Yeah. And, and I think if there's one that's worth another episode, Matt, I think it's on on prayer. I think you're right. Because I keep thinking new thoughts and I'm like, well, we don't have time to talk I don't, about it. I just don't it. have it. I don't have it mastered, but nah. I've, I've heard different ideas and different pointers to help personal prayer time and corporate prayer time. I think we yeah. could have multiple episodes. I'm sure. On on how to do that. And uh, I, I think you're right about it. It starts with leadership. There's, there's something that has to be taught and modeled, but almost it, it almost seems like we'd be starting with a generation of people who've not grown up seeing that you yeah. know and not not had that around it's like going to be a whole fresh thing that has to be taught and to I, a lot of people I, and i think this is the number I, number one you know i think about it more and more mm-hmm. as, as we confront the problems that we're facing and we agree there are serious problems yeah. that we're facing this is the the best solution yeah and so i i don't know if it's necessarily the best the biggest problem but it right. is the it is the best solution to the problems, and it becomes a problem because we're not we're not doing it very we're not well. Using it right, and I think that's universal. We'll never get to the point, Matt, where mm-hmm. we're like, we got this down. We're right, doing right. this well, and so even if we have prayer service three times a week, and I'm personally praying on a regular basis, I don't think I should be saying I got that down. Right, uh, like it's a checklist. I I think we always should strive for more and more connection to God through. I prayer. agree, but but as we're observing this, I do think it's something that we're not just being overly harsh with ourselves. It it definitely is something that's underutilized. We're in kindergarten here. Yeah. I don't have this figured out. Our church doesn't have this. We're mm-hmm. not the model for this. We want. To, I, I want to be the yeah. model 
for for that. I'm sure. not saying we are, and I think, man, we close off here. We need to we need to be having better discussions in the leadership about how to implement prayer from top down. Yeah, uh, as a regular part of our routine. So, man, I appreciate that. I think that's good. All right. All right. My number two, strong segue from that. So I went, I started at a different angle. Mm -hmm. And my number two on my list, again, not necessarily in order, is humanism. Okay. Uh, The the, the worship of self. Yeah. um, Would be maybe just a better way to say it. I I, I think that the challenge has emerged, has changed in the church in the past 15, 20 years from arguing against Darwinian evolution and secular uh, thought. I think that's still always going to be an issue. We're still always going to need apologetics and right. things like that. But I think that the biggest problem, and this goes, we talk about age-old problem. I mean, this probably goes to the garden, right? You know, but right. the, the idea of the love of self, yeah. uh, we love ourselves some of, some of ourselves. Right. And I would even argue probably this this is the seeds of where evolution and some of these other things came from. It yeah. was this desire Secular to humanism. elevate self over God. And so you get rid of God. I, I think, I can't remember, maybe you remember it was a, I think it was a Huxley that was one of the disciples of Darwin. Mm. And I believe he kind of admitted that the impetus for Darwinian evolution was sexual freedom. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I've heard that also. You know, and, and, and the close relative of humanism would be hedonism. Right. Right. Well, and, like, and it's odd. It feels good to do it. How many of you know today's you know civil rights issues, if you want to call them that, are are centered around people's sexuality or sexual preferences? Yeah. It, it, I oh. think it's still about that primarily. But yeah, and I think what's interesting and what makes humanism more dangerous than just general like evolutionary theory or any of that stuff is because that's all in the past. Humanism is now, and and, and it creates they create a problem where religion is a problem now because in their minds, you know, you hear Christopher Hitchens or Sam Harris or any of these guys talk. Yeah. And religion is this great evil, right? It's holding mankind back from this glorious future, and we're just going to keep getting better and better and colonize the stars and all this stuff if we could just get rid of these outdated, old, dusty ideas, yeah. which are the church. So, and, and I think that that's a unique kind of problem, apart from what we've been talking about so far, is because that's a group of people who are blatantly coming after the church. And, right, and and and. and- the reason why this doesn't fit well with Christianity, uh, you know, there's that whole I am second movement, but that's not even right. It's it's I'm third. Mm-hmm. You know, we're saying God's number one. He's the one that we worship. There's one God and we're not him. Yeah. And then we still say, let's put other people, their desires, their wants mm-hmm. above above our own and let's serve one another. And then last on that becomes us. And the world right now has that at, at the very best inverted yeah. uh, completely and the ultimate end for people is pleasure, is self, is, yeah. you know, whatever they can do to advance themselves. And it's odd. They'll push so many of these personal freedoms uh, to the point of a virtue. And yet so many of these things that people think of as being freedoms are actually things that put us in chains. You know, these different addictions and habits and, and things that we enslave ourselves to. That's not freedom. And yet they're sort of espoused as being that. Whereas, you know, the the life Christ calls us to sets us free from so many of those things. And yet they want to cast that as sort of being with some some of these other things. I think there's logical, philosophical questions, holes that they leave behind where we can reason. I don't believe that's necessarily true is easy with humanism. I believe this strikes at something subjective and in the heart of uh, of man that's a consequence of sin. Yeah. And 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 I think the only solution to that is the gospel. Yeah, I think I think you're right. And and there's maybe a couple layers to that. First off, being obviously we want to do what we want to do. Well, how do you reason against the um, worship of self? That's present and and this is unique too. That's present cross-culturally. Well, I I think it's funny because I think one of the big problems with that is people don't know history. You know, it's pretty easy to point back and say, "Hey, see when people pursue self, this is where mm-hmm. it lands them and this is the hurt that it causes." You can even look around you know, at the world now and see, you know, I know plenty of people who've run headlong into drug addiction or pornography addiction, and and I can point to the damage it's caused in their lives. I mean, it's real clear, but people see what they want to see. Sure. Um, And I think maybe the other thing that they've got in their favor in terms of attracting people is there's a lot of hurt in the world and there's a lot of stuff that's really messed up in the world. And our sort of knee-jerk reaction to that is to kind of blame God or assume he's not there or not a good God because, you know, how could he let all of this happen? And so that's, I think, one of the major things that they'll tout out, these humanist guys. Mm -hmm. And and it's one of the main things that people in the church have a really hard time answering. 
Well, this this is different now than it was before in this, I think. In past, you know, there was this idea of my greatest contribution, my greatest thing is to contribute to the greater good of society. Yeah. So whether that was scholarly or political, uh, you'd hear people talk about for the good of the nation, right. for the good of their society, for the future generations. That was a con- like you read like early American history, that mm-hmm. was common. And then as we got into like industrial age, it was, well, I'm, I'm working. It's for my family. I'm working 70 hours a week. It's, it's this capitalistic mindset. And now we've shifted to this complete, the ultimate way to succeed. The ultimate meaning in life now is myself, not yeah. something outside of me. Do you think the biggest threat this poses to the church is external or internal? I mean, oh. and by that, I mean, do you think it's them coming after the church or do you think it's people carrying that mindset into their faith? And, yeah, and I think it's we, all about me. We'll right? always have baptized versions mm-hmm. of the isms yeah. in the church. I, I think That's we have good. we have these diluted versions of them that we just Christian a Christian uh, version or a slightly diluted version of it. Yeah. So yes, I think we have to intentionally reject that. Mm-hmm. I think we need to teach people to reject that. And so I don't think that's accidentally done. Yeah. I think that's something that we intentionally teach on uh, is is you're not the ultimate. God's the ultimate. Right. Man, that's got my brain turning now about you know how carrying that into your walk could could cause some different issues. That might be worth coming back yeah. to yeah, later. Absolutely. absolutely. All right, Matthew, you're, what, number three now? Yeah, I think it's number three now. I think uh, mine was maybe this sort of new age sort of spiritualism. And I know that's not a new thing, but I think the big problem with that is so very many people out there will tell you that they are a spiritual person or I believe in God, I pray every day. It's just sort of this loose, they're living their lives. I mean, it's oh, you mean sort of this, this like broad encompassing, like, yeah, like that religious, religious, but not spiritual. Or do you mean like new age occultism? No, I mean, it. sort of, sort of spiritual, but not religious is I guess what I mean. I think new age occultism is also a problem. I don't think it's as predominant. A okay. So you, so you don't necessarily mean that as correct. I don't mean literal Eastern religion, but that's what's influenced a lot of this stuff, right? Is this sort of God is everywhere, or it's this very loosey goosey designer faith that you can put yeah. together on your own without any sort of strictures on it. Maybe the Unitarian church and some other things might fall under that umbrella, but I know a lot of people, and it's just sort of this idea like, well, you know, if you pay your taxes and you don't run over anyone with your car, you'll probably go somewhere better when you die or they are being bilked into, well, you know, you hear people talk about, oh, my grandma's been watching over me since she passed. Yeah. You know, I can sense her every once in a while. Yeah. It's just this weird ephemeral spiritual ideas that people kind of Put together in their brains yeah, into this idea, this collective and, God version of the God they've created. Yeah, and, and the reason I think that's a threat is because it allows people to feel safe and close to God without actually making a move to get any closer to God or to be obedient to Him or even to really understand who He is. Um, and I, I really think that's probably problematic for a lot of people out yeah. there. Yeah, when you don't when you don't feel the need to change anything or to alter anything, or you, for all intensive purposes, feel like you're a believer. Although we would we would probably question with most of the people like that, the idea they've created of God is not the God of the Bible. Oftentimes, yeah. they've gotten this collection of religious thought that they've picked up from everywhere, from popular sitcoms to music to right. their family to weddings and everything else they've ever experienced. So I think that you're right. There, there's an increase in those people that are spiritual. Mm-hmm. I don't, like I said, I don't think the biggest obstacle we're going to face is people that are ardent, militant atheists. That's yeah. always going to be there. But I think that we're going to have this obstacle, like you're saying, of people that have this belief in a God, a God, a spiritual being, but resent the church yeah. on top of, of that. So I don't I don't know if you kind of meant like the, the distaste for organized religion yeah, as I, a part of that. That's kind of where I'm going. I guess the new age was a little misleading, but I, I kind of slashed them all together in my mind a little there bit. There is a distaste for organized religion. That's based on, I feel like a lot of those people come to the conclusion they wanted to and then gathered the facts around it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to be involved in a church. And then they found reasons, legitimate reasons sometimes to dislike the church. And right. in the name of Christianity, people have done plenty of things and given plenty of ammo. Yeah. We, we would question some of the labels, but people, I've, I've heard people have legitimate concerns I don't have an answer for. 
Yeah. It creates an interesting obstacle for us to try to overcome when you, you know, you talk to somebody about, hey, you know, there's more than meets the eye to this life. And 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 they're like, well, yeah, I know that. But they just have a different idea of what that right. is. And that's pretty broad. You know, the idea of the spirituality of today is is pretty broad. And, and I agree. With and, and I think probably that some of the other stuff we've already talked about plays a hand in that, you know, this sort of humanistic mm-hmm. self-aggrandizing mindset. And they don't like that idea of judgment. Um, or, you know, you're calling them to account or a certain, you know, list of stuff you're not allowed to do or however they want to put it. So, yeah, I think that can be a problem for the church. And uh, I think it's your turn. All right. The other one I had was uh, theological liberalism that I think is uh, plaguing the church. I I think that there's uh, along with this is like a increased biblical illiteracy. If you just read uh, writings from a hundred years ago, Christian Sunday school literature from a hundred years ago versus today, mm-hmm. it's it's shockingly different. But there is, and 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 this is hard to diagnose just because where the, what what we mean by liberal all, oftentimes is determined by where we sit. Yeah, right. So we see this theological liberalism in mainline Christianity, and it's destroying them. Right. Mainline Christianity is imploding. Mm-hmm. And so on one hand, there's like the extreme theological liberalism that's embracing same-sex marriage, that's embracing everything, anything goes, and a universalism. Then there's within what we might even, uh, what other people classified as evangelicalism, conservative evangelicalism, which is like liberal issues, different liberal issues altogether. But I think that theological liberalism, it's an issue. Yeah, I I Totally agree with that point. Obviously, we see, we see a problem with biblical authority, even sometimes, you, you know, amongst our own churches and with people who who just kind of want to do what they want to do. But yeah, you've got a whole culture of people who you know you got mega churches, you've got televangelists, you've got most of the Christian writings, like you just sort of referenced. They look more like pop psychology than they do theology. Yeah. I mean, it's this very consumer friendly, fluffy version of Christianity, and it's more kind of a feel-good mindset. So the authority of the scripture has to be the first thing. And so, what, I mean, what do you think is taking the place of the authority of scripture, really? I mean, the authority of self. Okay. And and I, I think it's the idea of, well, the influence of culture, of fitting into culture, of mm-hmm. harmonizing our faith with modern society is it's tempting. Yeah. So like, we want to make it more palatable. Yes. Right. So how can I make this more palatable? And oftentimes, I think a lot of times the root of it is uh, a sincere desire. Mm-hmm. And, and and then on top of that, and maybe you disagree with this, I think we've created this false dichotomy that we think that standing for the truth equals and equates not loving. Yeah. And so people have chosen one or the other uh, of those. Let's be loving and gracious, or let's be truthful or, or whatever. But we don't, we don't choose one of those. We we teach the truth in love. We teach the truth in love. And to pick one of those is a serious, serious error to the neg- if we neglect the other. Yeah. And that, and that kind of touches on probably a part of that making yourself the authority is that a lot of people want to make their feelings the authority. Yeah. Uh, and it's very difficult to argue with that because, you know, you're saying, well, here's what the scripture says about that. And they're saying, well, you, you, well I know what I felt or I know what right. I experienced and you can't tell me that I did not experience that. And you know, I don't think, I think it's important to say, of course not. I can't tell you what you experience, but I can tell you what the scripture is saying mm-hmm. on that. And that has to be, that has to be the final word is what the Bible tells us. And, and I acknowledge the word liberal is a hard word to, to pin down because usually what we mean by liberal is anybody that disagrees with me. Yeah, it's, it's a relative term. And, and so mean, in, in our, in our movement and, and within the churches of Christ and Christian church, when we say, hey, they might be liberal in the whole sphere the whole spectrum of Christianity, most likely not. Uh, right. You know, you know, so, you know, how, what we mean by theological liberalism, I, what I mean by that is a drift, a slow drift away from biblical authority. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's emerging. I think, I think that's the nature, nature of it. I heard someone describe that liberalism by its very nature, and this is probably true politically as it is religiously, yeah. uh, liberals are leeches. They eventually latch onto things and steal it. Conservatives create and liberals steal. Right. And, and I think that's probably true. You see that in colleges and you see, see that in organizations and societies is there's always always seems to be a, a, a theological drift. Yeah. And, and maybe that's, I don't know, maybe that's a result of, of some of these churches seeking to pull in the world by looking more like the world. And, you know, I think if you imitate the world enough, you're going to start to think 
like the world, and they actually find themselves we, drifting away from. We have biblical example too, you know, of, of churches that are in, in the New Testament mm-hmm. that are, are were drifting to license. Yeah, that were were. Now we we certainly had churches that drifted towards legalism uh, as well, like in Galatia. But we have other churches that were drifting towards license. Yeah, and that had to be warned about. And so I think we we take the advice of of the Book of Jude that we contend earnestly. Mm-hmm. For the faith, but we also are, are make sure that we maintain our gentleness and respect when we do it. Yeah, and, and, and we're not pushing, you know, some form of legalism here. Where, but we're just saying the Bible has to be the authority, and we can't we can't set some other standard other than what's yeah, been and, set and we don't us. swing the pendulum. Sure. That's what's happened historically is is we have these historical overreactions to yeah. one one thing or the other. Liberalism and legalism, where the pendulum swung, yeah. are are two bad things, two horrible things. Mm-hmm. And Jesus condem- would, have, would have condemned both. I, you know, I get sick of, you know, Jesus would have been this or Jesus. Liberalism and legalism are dangers, yeah. equal dangers. And we reject both liberalism and we reject the response to liberalism as legalism. Right. And we want to be biblical. Yeah, I think that's really good. The last one I kind of came up with you here. You should have two more. Well, I don't. <laughs> okay, I came up with one more because we've kind of, we doubled up on All right. some of these that are on my list. So my last one, that's a unique one. I didn't know what to call it. I, I see a problem in the allowing the world to redefine terms for us and then arguing on those terms. Um, love, you mentioned love. That's a fantastic example. So there's this idea that if we disagree with someone's lifestyle, we don't love them. And, and I think that's the wrong idea of love. Loving someone is not about just supporting them in every single decision and action that they, that they take and do and trying to make sure that they feel good all the time. Loving someone is, is having their best interest at heart. It's looking out for their well-being, even if it hurts their feelings. And so I think there's probably a slew of things where the world is, is totally redefined some biblical or some true concept. And rather than say, hey, you've got the, the whole wrong idea, we sort of capitulate to that idea and then try to argue on those grounds, if that makes sure. any sense. Sure. I think that's the theme of postmodern thought is, is, is the redefining of terms. Right. And we see that, I think, you, I think love's a great example of that. And you know, I mentioned earlier the idea of these false dichotomies that people create. Yeah. You know, two things can often be true at the same time. And what, what people tend to want is these one extreme or the other. But I, I think that we should protect our, our terms, but we need to clearly define them ourselves. Sure. And, and I think part of this is sort of a culture creep sort of thing where we don't even realize that we've been bilked into accepting some new definition of something. You know, maybe we, we agree with their definition, but it's not the correct one. And that puts us in a weird position because we're trying to argue a biblical position, but, but we've allowed ourselves to to believe a lie about what we're arguing yeah, about. Absolutely. And so it, it makes it really difficult to take that position. And, and then we become tempted to back off on, on important issues the right way. Yeah. All right. Let me let me give my number four. Since you don't have a number five, I'll give you four and then five okay. All right. on mine. Uh, the, the fourth one is maybe the one that we the most obvious, and it's sexual perversion. Yeah. Uh, along with that, Issues that you and I never would have imagined that we would have had to deal with or think about that I that I think are creeping into the church, uh, whether that be issues of of gender and and oddly enough homosexuality is now not even the biggest issue yeah. that we're facing. Right. Uh, but we certainly see you know transgender issues and right off the bat uh, we're you know if you're against something you're labeled a phobic. Yeah. Uh, you know right. or, or or whatever else. So I I think that as younger generation this is just kind of where I'm thinking. As this younger generation emerges and gets older and into leadership, provided that their viewpoints don't change, this mm-hmm. is going to be very pervasive in the church. Yeah. And if you get a whole, you, you know, since you work with teens, you see this more. Absolutely. They have a whole different sensitivity, even ones that have grown up in the church and agree on your platform. Yeah. They have a whole different sensitivity to, to this issue than you and I have. They do. And I think it's really going to be one of those things that, like you're saying, it's going to develop over the years. But already we are seeing it, you know, in the in the the teen classes, um, people bring friends. So this has happened more than once where we've had someone come in and, and they might identify as some other gender or some different sexuality. And it's not come to any sort of, you know, 
conflict just yet. And you try to love those kids and teach them about Christ, because like you said, most go- most problems are gospel problems. And so we start there. But man, those are difficult conversations to have. They're because, very difficult conversations. Because these things have been so, so rooted in, in people's identity. It's really kind of a slick move that that people have come off with. You know, instead of this being a behavior, now it's a now it's a mm-hmm. personality. It's a it's a part of their identity. And so you're attacking who they are. Sure. Um, and it makes it very, very difficult. I mean, how do you bring someone to Christ when they're saying, but this is who I am and I'm not able to extricate that right. from me? And, and what's this issue going to be like in five years or 10 years? We never would have predicted where we were five, no. year, five years ago. And, we never could have predicted some of these conversations right. uh, that that go along with the cancel culture. Yeah. We never would have ex- expected this. And I don't, you know, you don't want to be one of these alarmist people, but I, I mean, I've heard numerous news stories about at least some fringe push to start normalizing like adult and minor sexual contact. Right. And yeah, that's fringe now, but like how much of this stuff was fringe five years ago and it's now mainstream thought. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, once you take, once you take God out of the equation, and especially when it comes to issues of sexuality, there, there really is no limit to how far it can go and how far people will go. That's yeah, the nature I'd recommend, of it. I, I read this book uh, called The Rise and Triumph of Modern Self by mm-hmm. a guy by the name of Carl Truman. Uh, and I think he's a professor over at Grove City College. Fantastic book that really walks through the history going back hundreds of years as to how did we get to the place that we are, that people's identity is so tied up in their sexual expressions and their sexual freedom. A fantastic book. I really recommend anybody that's just uh, concerned about this, uh, reading that at the end of the book. He comes from a Christian perspective. He really tries to diagnose what he thinks is going on and what will happen. And so... we're not done dealing with this issue in the in the church. No, no. I mean, I heard another person quote that you know, sexuality is maybe the second most powerful force there is to motivate our behavior outside of God. It certainly was what what got Israel in trouble over and over again. I mean, sexual temptation is is a huge, huge obstacle to overcome, and it's not it's not getting easier out there in the world. It's becoming more and more open, and fewer and fewer boundaries exist. And so as we see that, yeah, more and more people are going to get sucked into that. And we absolutely are going to start seeing people show up at the church and, and have these thoughts in their head. And sometimes sure. sometimes maybe that's because they're repentant and, and they we realize want them. there's and a we conflict. Want them sure, absolutely, we, we want them. And I think that's where, you know, kind of mentioned going along with your previous one is that it's this really difficult balance is once we come out, we're like, hey, I'm, I believe in this biblical definition of marriage. Uh, I believe that any sex outside of the mar- marriage relationship between a man and a woman is, is sin. Yeah. Right away, people would see that we're hate mongers mm-hmm. or we're uh, homophobic, transphobic, whatever other phobic that we, we might be. And, and at least, you know, and I, I understand that once I come, you know, say this and put this out, uh, it's hard for someone to see this, but my motivation's not anger or hate yeah. or it, fear for that or matter. Or fear. It's, 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 it's love. I love every single one of those people that would yeah. love to have the opportunity to share the gospel right. with them and that there's freedom in Christ and forgiveness in, in that. And so I, I think right off the bat, people will interpret that to be hateful. And I don't. I, I, yeah. I don't mean it to be. I think we, we I think we do need to watch our tone. Sure, because because it, it doesn't help that there are people who identify with the church who are sort of hateful about that. Sure, stuff, there are. Not sure, there are. But that, that's, you know, but but at least as far as the issue is concerned, the church has addressed and spoken of the issue. But it's not the it's not the church that's ramming it down people's throats I, for the I most part. I agree with that. And it's it's pushed on every every day, every place, and it's pushed to go more and more extreme. And every day that you think that something it can't go any further down the line there's something new that happens that you're like i never would have even considered this in my wildest I know. imagination yeah if you would have told me 10 years ago i would have laughed it off as being ridiculous and and i had someone ask me you know in regards to you know the church and homosexuality and they were like well why is this the battle that you've chosen as the church and i, I my response was, I don't, I don't think we're the ones who chose this battle. You know, just like you said, we're not the ones sort of pushing down everyone's throats. Right. Know? I'm not, I'm not, I don't, I don't dedicate a month to preaching against homosexuality. Correct. Yeah, I, I we don't, don't, we don't do that. Uh, you know, and you know, we'll teach on what's right. Right. We'll give biblical definitions of terms and I'm not going to shy away from the truth though. Yeah. I mean, I guess we shouldn't be surprised at the lengths people will go to, to, to be able to do what they want to do in that department. Because, Absolutely. 
that people have demonstrated over and over how far they're willing to go to, to, to get away with that sort of thing. And I just always thought it was so almost silly, this outrage over, well, this is who I am and why would God expect me? Like, I, like I didn't have to give up a hundred parts of my personality when I became a Christian. Like right. who I am en- encompasses being a pretty angry person sometimes. That doesn't mean it's okay for me to just lose my temper with people. Right. God, right God made you to like women. And say, well, that's who mean, I am. It doesn't mean you can... Right. You know, I still have to channel that in, in the correct direction, you know, into my marriage and not elsewhere. And and there's strictures on all of us. But again, again, touching back on something we talked about before with freedom, living the life Christ wants us to live makes us free. You know, right. pursuing those other worldly pleasures, that's what puts us in chains. And, and, and people just don't get that right. idea. And I think uh, maybe it's because a lot of us don't get that I believe idea. I believe people want that, whether they know they want that or not. Yeah. I'm not saying they want Jesus. I'm saying that I think people, in any sin, this is true for any sin. Mm-hmm. I think when we're wrapped up in sin, there's this, there's this bondage that we have. There's this hurt that exists that we know it's there. We can't define that it's there. And yeah. people might even not recognize that it's there, but it's there. And so I think Christ is the only thing that can set that free. Hey, here's my number five, Matt. All right. Uh, my number five concern was the breakdown of the home. Yeah, that's a huge one. Um, meaning like not only that, but the home as a training ground, a place of discipleship. Mm-hmm. I see fewer and fewer families whose lives are central to the church. Yeah. They tend to be central on education or on the ball field. And I, I think that the breakdown of the home has been absolutely paramount to our generation, whether that's through one divorce, two people not marrying yeah. now, you know, because the, the whole conversation about marriage and divorce has changed. And while the divorce numbers, I think, may have dropped, part of the pro- reason why they've dropped is people just aren't getting married. Right. And and then if you add to that the unhealthy homes plus the homes of people in the church, loosely affiliated with the church, who aren't centered around that, they are more centered around other things. You know, including busyness yeah. in that. Yeah, I think that's a big deal. And you look back through, you know, the Old Testament, obviously there was that age where the father was the priest of the home and he looked after the spiritual well-being of everyone. And, and then even later, once the law was given down to Moses, it, there was this this teaching in the law that the fathers were to teach their children and you were to bring them up in these certain ways. And, and there was just a whole spiritual discipline that surrounded family time. And, and I think even Christian families don't adhere to a lot of that. I think a lot of us try to teach our kids the right thing, but are we praying as a family are we really taking advantage of those opportunities are we to, modeling, to teach our kids are we modeling christian living for yeah, our children right and and uh, are we teaching these virtues and these values mm-hmm. that that are there and you know whether we've modeled our homes after some of these television shows with a buffoon father yeah uh or not like you just look through through these tv shows and so many of them have broken homes and incompetent dads yeah. and i'm not saying that's begat what we have but man the the home is so goes the home, so goes the church. Yeah, sure. And I don't believe that's true, vice versa necessarily. Right. I believe that the key, the key to a good, healthy church are good homes. Uh, now we want people with broken homes in the church, mm-hmm. but the core we have to establish and train and promote healthy home life. Right. And and you know both of us know people who who kind of came up in broken homes and and found Christ and now. Their home is not a broken home, right? Their own family does yeah. not reflect what they grew up. Be a chain breaker. And, and it is, it's a big deal because you look around the world and people just continue those cycles. You know, an abused kid grows up to abuse their kid more often than not. And that's right. the sad fact of it. And and yet in the church, we have a hope of breaking that chain, like you said. And so I, I do think that, that the collapse of the home is a huge problem. And, and in, even beyond whether Christian people are conducting their families like they ought to, just like you, you, you kind of mentioned through divorce, having a, a fragmented home, they've got one parent in the house or a grandparent, or they're in a foster system or, or whatever. Right. You know, when I think about Christ talking about the church, you know, Christ is the head of the church, just like the husband's the head of the wife. And, and it's almost like a, it's the family ought to be a microcosm of the church. Sure. Right? And, That's Ephesians five. Absolutely. Right. And so, yeah, if we don't, if we don't see that in the home, it, it's surely going to carry over into. And, and, and that, you know, just kind of to dovetail, on, on what we're kind of talking about, the priority, a priority list. Mm-hmm. What's our priority? My my understanding of Scripture, uh, holistically, is that God should be number one. Yeah. I believe family should be number two. Yep. 
and then the church. I, I don't believe that our affiliation, our involvement in church things that are not God things. Yeah. That makes sense. Not all my church things are God things. Mm-hmm. Some of them are good, important. Not all of them are kingdom things. They right. exist without me. And so if anyone's listening, man, never put church busy work. Right. above your family. Never aware neglecting your family for something for the church as a badge of honor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that for, for dads and for moms, that needs to be the number one mission field is your children. Yeah. And that doesn't always look like setting your kids down and reading scripture to them for hours a day either. That's about spending time with them. That's about modeling the correct behavior, using those little teachable moments. Some of the, some of the best teaching Jesus ever did with the apostles was just as they were walking along the road or as they were sitting down to eat. Impromptu Um, lessons. Yeah. Observing something and making an example out of it. And, And in order to do that, you have to actually be present with your family and spending that time with them. And it is very easy, especially if you're into ministry or, or you're, you know, some sort of a leader in your church, or you're just involved in a lot of church projects. It's very easy to rationalize, well, I'm doing this for God. And so they understand, understand or not, it's still going to hurt your family if you're never around. And there might be a time where, where someone's not able to be a leader because their family responsibility. And that's okay. That's the right call. You know, I've I've had people that I thought would be good elders because they're godly people. They love the Lord who have said no right. because uh, their family responsibility, and I respect that a ton because they can't they can't care for the church if they're not caring for their family, yeah, not effectively. And so it would have been a mistake for them to have chosen to care for several hundred people in the church, yeah, and not care for their family. All right. Well, we are actually pushing an hour here, so we're gonna we're gonna cut it off. I think. Yeah, that could have gone on and on and oh, on. Oh, sure. And I think I think we've got some good good seeds here for for revisiting several of these. Yeah, topics. please let us know on here what you agree with, don't agree with, what your thoughts might be if it sparks something in your mind, or if uh, certainly there's a few things we just didn't include. Yeah. Uh, we'd love to hear them. Uh, so comment on whatever platform what you think are the biggest. Uh, concerns the church might have to deal with as we move forward. Yep. We'd uh, so love really to hear from that. all of you. And and you can check this out on our website at lakeboundchurchofchrist.org. There's a lot of other sermons and resources on there. You can also find the podcast on Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts. I believe we're on Audible now and Amazon and some other things. So check it out wherever you want to check it out and make sure that you click subscribe. And uh, thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. Mm-hmm.